This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 42. This is Writing Excuses, writing the end. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Victoria. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we're done. I don't usually get to do that joke. Um, We're going to talk about writing endings. We have questions from uh, listeners, and a couple of them are really curious about how we pick what kind of ending we do. So the first question is, how do you decide what kind of climax fits your story? And they list battle, escape, conversation, inner turmoil, etc. All of those together sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Well, there's a... There's a school of thought that says your, you know, whatever your your first line, your first paragraph, your mm-hmm. first chapter, uh, that's that will tell you in some sense what your ending will be. That will telegraph the whole story. That works much better for short things than for long things. Mm-hmm. But by the end of by the end of the first act, you should know what kind of an ending. You know whether this is going to end in a gunfight or a conversation. Um, yeah, I That's, agree. Um, now, if you're a heavy-duty discovery writer, you may not discover that till the end, and then you need to rewrite it in. Yeah. Um, that's totally fine. But let's just say in the finished product, the reader should be able to anticipate what kind of ending it is you were looking for after the, the first act of your story is done most of the time. Uh, that said, sometimes you do get twists like, uh, you know, Into the Woods by Sondheim is a classic example of sometimes uh, reversing expectations. It's very hard to do, but it's very rewarding if you do it right. I'm, I'm not sure that we're answering this specific yeah. person's question because they said, you know, here's my list of things, a battle, a chase, a conversation. You know, if I know that my book has to end with the hero defeating the villain— that could take the form of a battle, that could take the form of a chase, that could take the form of, you know, various different kinds of violence or, or action. How do you pick which one of those is going to be best for this particular story? You know, I like you reframing it that way because we're taking the easy answer to this. Let's yeah. take the harder answer because looking at something like, um, you know, MCU films, one of my favorites is Doctor Strange. I know a lot of people think it's one of the weakest, but I love it because mm-hmm. magic um, and wizards. Um, and the ending of that one is has, basically a conversation. Yeah, and um, it's a very clever one. It is mm-hmm. a puzzle. And yeah. especially coming on the heel of so many, where so many Marvel movies all ended with, we're all over a city and the city's blowing up and we're flying around and shooting each other. That one ended with a conversation and a puzzle. And you totally could have ended that one with a fight instead, and it would have felt appropriate for just the themes that were happening through the story. Let's, let's look at that ending a little bit. There is a whole bunch of very satisfying fight leading up to that ending. That ending is that ending is the the capstone to the fight. Uh, the the capstone to all of this action there at the end. And to me, that's what made it satisfying. If he had arrived and immediately gone and had his chat with Dormammu, I wouldn't have felt satisfied. I wouldn't have seen all the fun magic stuff I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. Though I will say part of the reason I liked that ending is it was um, a theme for the character learning patience. 
Um, we had seen that his trouble was he wanted it now. He wanted to be the best and he wanted his answers. If you haven't seen the movie, he travels to get healed from a uh, terrible injury so he can go back to being a doctor and he finds people who will help him and they, they turn him aside. They send him out and he's like, no, 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 you've got to help me. Um, but he has to learn to be patient with his flaws and with, uh, with himself to find inner peace. And then he uses that to defeat the, en- the enemy. Yeah. Now to Howard's point, a lot of what's going on in the early action stuff is try-fail cycles. I yep. think we can win by this. No, we can't. I think we can win by this. No, we can't. And then he puts the pieces together and completes his own inner arc. And that's when he figures out how to do it. And I think that comes back to the original question. Am I going to end with a battle? Am I going to end with a chase? Am I going to end with a conversation? Well, Brandon's first answer was, those all sound nice. (laughs) You can have all of those. Mm -hmm. You can have, in the final six minutes of Act 3, you can have a battle that, or excuse me, a chase, well, a battle that fails and somebody gets away and you have to chase them and you catch them and you have a conversation and then we're done. I think the key um, here is for you to identify what kind of, of story will fulfill not necessarily what you need to do, but will fulfill the character's journey. Yep. And then you could pick any one of these things, whatever feels right at the time, as long as you are completing that character's journey. That's the harder decision. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the monster at the end of this conversation here, right? <laughs> like the thing is, I have been waiting to talk until the end of this because I write my books backwards. Mm-hmm. So I actually don't actually don't do anything until I've planned the ending. The ending for me and that climax basically through the last page determines the entire story I'm telling. And so for me, the tonal cohesion of it is second to figuring out the ending of the story. So I feel like I have perhaps a different perspective on this because rather than write toward the end and think what kind of resolution do I need in order to fulfill the promises that I've made earlier on, I write backwards from the end to make those promises from the ending that I know I want to achieve. So you are still then at a point in the process deciding how your ending is going to work. And I actually write the same way. I will figure out the ending first. So how do you pick? It's the story I want to tell. I feel like the ending is not a culmination. It's the definition For me, the ending is the punctuation. At the end, it's the thing that we're working toward. An entire sentence has to end at that Mm -hmm. moment. I... It is part of the fundamental questions I am asking myself when I begin to have an idea and when I begin to ask what kind of story I'm telling. I really treat the ending as the opportunity for the absolute collision of all of the ideas that I have, of all of the places that I want to end. And the thing that I actually ask myself before I figure out if it's a battle or a chase or anything is, who are my characters the moment we leave them? So really it comes down to who's alive, who's dead, where are they at physically and psychologically? And then from there, I begin to rewind their last moments in order to figure out what is the thing that leads them there? And I rewind from there all the way until I get to the beginning and figure out who the characters are when we first meet them. The Doctor Strange metaphor is feeling even more fitting now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the bit about working backwards from the ending, um, it does not feel backwards to me. Mm-hmm. When I am outlining, uh, when I'm outlining these days, all of my discovery writing tricks are now rolled into my outlining process. The I've talked about the process where Uh, My first outline is a 10-year-old boy tells you about his favorite movie at high speed. Uh, And the 10-year-old boy will say, oh, 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 I forgot to tell you this one thing. And that actually goes into 
my first pass at the outline because it's silly and it's fun. Um, but I begin that process thinking, what is the big awesome moment at the end that got the 10-year-old boy to come home and tell me, ah, I have to tell you about this movie. It's so great. Yeah. Because there was this thing. But before I tell you about the end... And then off we go. Well, and also, so I've used, I feel like over the course of the episodes that I've been here, a lot of food metaphors. But to use yet another food metaphor, it's like the ingredients, like you're gathering apples along the way and you end up with an apple pie or something. I don't want to end up with like an orange cake. Like if I grew, like I don't want to like, if you write towards a discovery and you don't actually have a plan in mind, you risk gathering ingredients which result in a different end, which result in something that doesn't feel cohesive. Whereas I want to know what it is I'm making so that I can figure out the ingredients that I need to find along the way to make that dish. It is if all about that gathering dish. apples, it is entirely possible to end up with cyanide because there's cyanide in apple yes. seeds. Yes, okay, different fruit. But then. that's well, no, 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 but but your yes. your metaphor works perfectly because you can gather apples, yeah. you can be gathering these things and still have some options for what happens at the end. Yeah. And that's for me where surprising yet inevitable will come in. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop and talk about your book. Yes. Oh, yes. I have a new book out, or yes. I will by the time this airs. Um, it is called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It is essentially about a young woman in 18th century France who is deathly afraid of dying in the same place she was born. And she decides to summon the old gods to help her out of her life, out as of her one predicament. Does. As one does, yeah. as one does. Mm -hmm. The problem is none of them answer. She prays at dawn and no one answers. She prays at midday and no one answers. She prays at dusk and no one answers. And the one rule she has been taught all her life, never pray to the gods that answer after dark. She makes a mistake and she does this and she accidentally summons the devil. And when he asks her what she would be willing to trade for her soul, she wants time. And she doesn't know how much she wants to live forever. And the devil says no, because if you live forever, he doesn't get your soul. He gets the soul at the conclusion of the deal. And so in a moment of desperation, she says to the devil, you can have my soul when I don't want it anymore. And sensing an opportunity, the devil agrees, the deal is done. And she discovers afterward that he has granted her the ability to live forever and cursed her to be forgotten by everyone she meets. There you go. <laughs> and what I did it? not start writing it until I had the idea eight years ago, and I didn't start writing it until two years ago when I figured out the ending. What an awesome premise. And is this under the name? V.E. Schwab. V.E. Schwab. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Yeah. All right. So uh, another question we had, kind of take this from a different direction, is how can you end a climax without neatly resolving the, re uh, the conflicts 
Or also, how can you have your characters fail without leading, leaving the audience disappointed? How can you build up all of this tension and build up all of these indications that there's going to be a heroic victory and then not give it to them? <laughs> well, in YA, you would say you need to have hope. So you can end with a bad ending or a failure in YA, but the thing that you don't want to end up with is the lack of hope. I'm also a really big believer in saving the day, but not the world. I love it when our characters survive to fight again, maybe solve one of the problems, but in so doing, much like the try-fail cycle, end up creating another problem that they're going to have to face at some point down the line. Yeah, the un unsatisfying endings are like my favorite thing. <laughs> uh, and unsatisfying is the wrong word, because if you do it right, it will still feel satisfying and it will still feel resolved, even though you didn't get what you want. So in all of my John Cleaver novels, except arguably the very last one, um, he does what he's trying to do. He fills the goal he sets out to fill and then looks around at the wreckage surrounding him and goes, oh my gosh, what was the cost of actually destroying this demon? I've, I've lost my family. I've lost everything that I had. And just over and over for five books, because I'm an awful person. <laughs> uh, the ending of Extreme Makeover does the same thing. It has an incredibly dark, desolate ending that a lot of people come back to me and they're like, how, why did you do that? And I go, because that's where it needed to end. That is actually the resolution of the arc that I set up is that these characters are going to fail and the world is going to end. It's why everyone on Seinfeld should end up in jail at the end yeah. of the series. Um, <laughs> that is the satisfying resolution under some mm -hmm. uh, understandings of how the plots were going. Okay, so taking Extreme Makeover as an example, all of my early readers, all of the alpha readers, the writing group that I ran it through, they all came back and said, what, how dare you end it there? We thought they were going to pull it out. And I realized, okay, this is satisfying to me, but I need to make it satisfying to the audience. So I played a lot of tricks on you. First of all, I started every chapter, and this came very late in the revision process, started every chapter with a countdown to the end of the world. So that you know, even if you think that I'm going to cheat at the end and pull it out, you at least have been told every couple of pages, nope, the, the, the end of the world is coming. That worked really well. What it did is it made the end of the world become a thing you're anticipating and kind of looking forward to. Yes. And then the other thing was I kind of amped up the darkness inside of all the characters so that when it happens, you're like, oh, good, that one just got his comeuppance. And then, oh, good, that one just got it. And we get to the end and you realize, like, the worst thing that any character does in that book, in my opinion, happens in one of the last couple of pages. And if you actually look at the dates and the times and all of this countdown... It's not counting down to the end of the book. It's counting down to that one betrayal. And so by the time you get there, you're like, well, yeah, he deserves to die. I've been, I've been following this whole time, been waiting for him to pull it out. He just did this awful thing to her. I want him to die. This comes back again and again to promises, right? To promise mm -hmm. versus expectation, to finding a way to surprise people even when they know what they want. Because that's essentially the bargain that you're trying to strike here is a reader reads. And if you have a cohesive narrative, they have an idea of how they expect it to end and how they want it to end. And you somehow have to find ways to surprise them and and not be predictable while still fulfilling the general promise. You made a tonal promise mm -hmm. over the course of your book. And so then they can't be betrayed by the tone. They can't be betrayed by the ending. And so there's like, it's a lot of promises to keep up with. And you're going to end up with somebody upset. 
Like mm-hmm. no matter how well you end a book, somebody is going to wish you ended it differently. And that's one of the hard parts of this. The, the one the one counsel I'd give is that if if you have a, a public audience for a, a series and and you have not yet published, you know, the ending of the series, don't let the fact that someone correctly guessed yeah. the ending of a thing make you change the ending. I was on a panel with a, a guy who wrote for comic books, and uh, he would he would go through the letters, and if somebody guessed his ending, he would just change it. And uh. I th- I thought that is no way to live. <laughs> I I assume that somebody is going to put all these things together, even if they're just rolling dice, and figure out what I had planned. And that person gets to do a little dance they and know that they are smarter than me, and that's fine. Um, going back to some of the things that Dan and Victoria were saying, I think satisfying doesn't have to mean happy. And if you can learn to split apart those two things, um, George Martin made a career on being satisfying but not happy in uh, his epic fantasy. And that is what people came to expect. And that, you know, being satisfying, having satisfying deaths is like a thing mm-hmm. in the Game of Thrones series that if you don't fulfill on reader expectations are like, wait a minute, this is not what I was promised. I was looking forward to satisfying deaths. And you can see that in the final season of the I TV can't, show. We, I, we can't even, I can't even talk about it. I'm so angry. Mm-hmm. So many people I'm started so to angry. complain yeah. about halfway through the season. Wait, all of the main characters are going to live through this. Yeah. That is not what they had been promised Mm-mm. years and years ago when that first book started. Yeah. And then the, the show kind of flinched and stopped killing off main characters and it didn't and satisfy. And that is a tonal promise break. Yeah. You mm-hmm. promised not only deaths, but satisfying deaths that adequately reflected the crimes which were perpetuated in life. It is one of the only things we all had to look forward to, <laughs> and I am still upset about it. Moving on. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do some homework. Dan, you have our homework. Yeah. So what we want you to do is just practice this. Take something you've already written, whether it is a short story, a novel, whatever length. And then rewrite your ending so that the opposite thing happens. And this is not just let a meteor land and kill all your heroes before they succeed. Find a way that they can fail, but that it's satisfying. And whether you do this, you know, a, a uh, you know, the opposite kind of tone, the opposite kind of, you know, the opposite person wins. However you want to define opposite, write it, but do your best to make it feel satisfying. I'm really curious to try this on some of my own stories. Uh, I think it would be is going to be a fun exercise to s- practice kind of pantsing an ending where you're taking all the things you've set up and then coming up with a new ending. Yeah. Very hard for mm-hmm. someone like I you or me say, who, uh, who, who you, always know our endings. You gathered all your ingredients for apple pie, and now you have to and go and bake something completely different with it. I already juice. told you there's cyanide in I there. know, you're, I know. You're going to make a poison. You've got this. <laughs> you're out of excuses. Now go right. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 